when did they sit down after after yeah okay all right, here is Tov, everyone. Parshat Kitisa is our Parsha. And we are going to look at uh, quite a well-known uh, Midrash, um, which talks of this, uh, the nature of, Mo- of Moshe Rabbeinu's uh, aura that, uh, that shone from, with, from, uh, from, from him. Um, the the, the Psukim in the, in the Parsha describe how when he comes down the mountain, you know, there's this... Karan or Pnei Moshe, He's, uh, the face of Moshe Rabbeinu shines with a kind of a, a light. And um, as we know, uh, the interpretation, let's call it, of the non-Jewish world, I think Michelangelo or whatever, is that it's like horns of light coming from him, like, like rays of light. But I think from the Midrash, it seems more like the whole, the aura of Moshe Rabbeinu was magnified as a result of the experience, you know, on... Uh, you know, on Har Sinai when he comes back down with uh, the second set of of luchot. So um, this this particular aura, this light that emanated from Moshe Rabbeinu, um, the source of this light is spoken about in the world of Midrash, and um, the Midrash tells us that Akosh Baruch Hu, when he wrote or dictated for Moshe Rabbeinu to write the Torah. Um, there was a certain amount of ink that was left over, um, and that leftover ink was then um, smeared across Moshe Rabbeinu's forehead, and it's from that ink that Moshe Rabbeinu's light emanated uh, from him. Um, now it's interesting that this particular metaphor is used that there was uh, there was leftover ink. So many Mefarshim uh, try and look at this. Uh, with various insights, and um, we find we find that I think it's the Orachim Akadosh writes that Moshe Rabbeinu's modesty that was the cause of the leftover ink. So the, the the what he means is what he writes is as follows: He says that Hashem gave Moshe Rabbeinu a amount of ink; it should have been the exact amount needed to write the the text of the Torah, and um, in certain places in the Torah, Moshe Rabbeinu made uh, uh, his own amendments, which uh, which were, the, were responsible for leftover ink. So, if you say that Moshe Rabbeinu, for example, in Pashat Balotcha, Moshe Rabbeinu is known as the Anav, he's the most uh, modest out of all people. The word Anav is spelt normally with a yud, Ein Nun Yud Vav. In in the Parsha, it's spelt Ein Nun Vav. Um, and therefore, at that point in time, uh, you know, the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu leaves out the Yud means that there's a bit of extra ink. Uh, one can also suggest that, uh, as people do, that Vayikra, the, the word Vayikra is spelt with an Aleph at the end. Uh, Moshe Rabbeinu shrunk the Aleph um, because the word Vayikra or the phrase Vayikra is, um, represents a, uh, an honorable calling from Akosh Baruch to Moshe. And Moshe Rabbeinu didn't want to amplify uh, this level of relationship that he has with Hashem, so he, he put it with a small aleph. Rashi quotes the Midrash about Bilam being called by Kosh Baruch Hu, uh, not with affection, and that was Vayikar. Uh, Vayikra would be with affection, and that Moshe Rabbeinu, um, you know, deserved. So there, the, the first approach is to say that there were certain parts of, of the Torah text that were, um, in a sense, 
responsible for the leftover ink because Moshe Rabbeinu doctored it a little bit um, in order to in order not to 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 blow his own trumpet, so to speak. How great uh, of a person he was, and um, he therefore was ended off with this leftover ink. And of course, the Musa Raskel, what you learn out of this is that those who flee from Kavod, you know, eventually Kavod will uh, will will catch will catch them in a good way. And that is uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, um, so to speak, decreases the amount of honor he has in the words of the Torah. And uh, the result is that he's um, elevated to a level where there's this light that's shining from his face as uh, as a gift, so to speak, from Hashem uh, to, to to Moshe Rabbeinu. So that's uh, that's you know one approach about the nature of uh, the leftover ink. I was always uh, I was a little bit bothered by uh, the one explanation um, or this explanation, um, but I must look at it again just to see if I. If I've forgotten if the Orachaim actually tackles this, but um, both Sefer Vayikra um, and especially Sefer Bamidbar, you know, Pashat Balotcha, they haven't they haven't happened yet at the end of the at the end of Pashat Kitisa. In other words, um, it's one thing to say that those those uh, the small letter of Vayikra or the missing Yud that was responsible for the 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 aura that Moshe Rabbeinu's uh, body sh- shined with, um, shone with. But I mean, he he didn't have the text to to work with to decrease uh, those uh, those letters because that hadn't happened yet. Um, you know, there might be a something that I I'm not remembering, but uh, it's just bothering me a little bit when I was thinking it through as to what happened over there. But nevertheless, I think the idea is already uh, is, is is understood. Um, there's a very famous drosha of the Beit HaLevi, the very first famous uh, uh, Soloveitchik. Um, he has a he has a drosha, an essay about this particular concept, as to um, as to try and understand this midrash uh, a little bit better. Now, what's interesting is like this: uh, the Beit HaLevi starts off uh, dealing with uh, uh, this idea that Akosh Baruch Hu gave Moshe Rabbeinu not just the Torah of that generation, but Moshe Rabbeinu was exposed to uh, all parts of Torah, that, uh, including all those that were going to be said until today. In other words, across the span, span the time of Jewish history, um, the pasuk, this pasuk that's used to, de- to derive that idea from uh, is the one of the pasukim in the Aser that he brought, or just introducing the Aser that he brought. The pasuk there says, "By the eight kolad varim ha'ele leimor." Akush Baruch Hu spoke, "Kola eight kolad varim ha'ele." All of these words saying. Um, so the the drosha the drosha is on that phrase. All of these uh, these divrei Torah. So the drosha is is that it says the midrash the agadata that um, all uh, all divrei Torah all chidushim that are going to be uh, are going to be generated. Across the span of time, Moshe Rabbeinu already was exposed to. Um, so almost as if to say that you know, all of all of Torah was was literally rolled out in front of Moshe Rabbeinu. So the midrash then continues uh, to um, to develop this theme that Moshe Rabbeinu then says to Hashem, um, "Okay, let's write all of this down." 
So Hashem said, no, there's a special, unique nature to the way Torah is going to be transmitted. And uh, and it's it's vital that we do it this way. There's going to be an oral tradition that is superimposed on a written tradition. In other words, without oral Torah, without Torah Shabbat, you're not going to be able to understand Torah Shabbat. The two have to come together. And this invention of a, an oral Torah um, is exactly what the answer to Moshe Rabbeinu is. We can't write it all down for Klal Yisrael uh, because we need to have an oral Torah. Why do we need to have an oral Torah? So the number of reasons that are given. Um, one of the reasons that are given is that um, there's a, a the prophetic revelation that was shown to Moshe Rabbeinu at the time was that Bnei Israel will eventually uh, sin to the point where they will be um, um, oppressed and sent into exile. And the minute they, they go into Galut, it's going to, the goddess is going to have an impact upon how they on on, on Torah, uh, and part of the 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 galut is um, that the written Torah will be so to speak captured by the larger world at the time, and um, it will be uh, it will be seen almost as if the Bible, the Tanakh, um, is a universal book rather than a Jewish book. Even though, of course, it talks about B'nai Israel in there all the time, but um, it's it. Many people are going to challenge who re, who the real B'nai Israel is in Christianity. They talk about replacement theory that of course, that Am Israel have lost. Am Israel have lost uh, their their status as being B'nai Israel, and there's now a new B'nai Israel because they, uh, you know, from the Christian point of view, that we never accepted Yoshka as as God, and therefore all this uh, terrible Taurus. Um, was um, we were punished with it. Uh, of course, we reject all of that. But in principle, you start to see that other religions, other philosophies, would start to claim the, the written text as their own. And um, you know, the the Gemara in Masechet Megillah Davtet, the Gemara there tells us the famous uh, story as uh, as to the I think the very first um, misappropriation of Torah. It, it wasn't the first time that Torah was translated we uh we are we are privy to a, 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 narrative, a midrash which tells us that um when Moshe Rabbeinu um it's not even a midrash it's like quite explicit almost that when Moshe Rabbeinu was about to cross uh allow Yoshua to cross over the Torah to the the Yardin with uh, to go into Israel just before they crossed over Moshe Rabbeinu wrote out Sifrei Torah for Klal Israel but he also wrote Sifra Torah on these massive stones, so did Yoshua do too. They became these, I don't think that we've ever found um, these, these uh, Sifra Torah or copies of them. But the fact is that it, it had to fulfill a, a certain purpose of being Be'erete, which means uh, explained to everybody. And I think there the Gemara makes the, makes the, the jump to the idea that, they were, that the Torah was written out in 70 languages. So it was, in, in other words, it was trying to, allow people to have access to Torah values, even if they weren't Jewish. A very universal uh, approach here. Um, but as far as the Gemara Megillah is concerned, there, the translation that was uh, that was take, undertaken under the governance of, of Ptolemy, the, you know, the, the, the king, um, so he basically forces 
this idea through. And here, as opposed to Moshe Rabbeinu translating it, where the translation would have been fully accurate, there in the case of the the the, the seventy rabbonim, Targum Hashivim, you know, the the Septuagint, uh, in the times of Ptolemy, um, the, there there were some there were certain mistakes, there were certain issues, there were um, they had to be careful how they wrote it. Anyway, this this is, was a problem, and so th this um, this midrash puts Moshe Rabbeinu in the seat where Hashem shows him what's going to happen to the Jewish people. And in order to preserve the unique relationship between Amishon and Baruch another vehicle would have to be created that wouldn't be a written text because the written text would be captured. And so this vehicle of the oral tradition is essentially that vehicle which uh, will always stand as testimony to the unique relationship between to the chosenness of Kal Yisrael by by Baruch and as a result of this, to this day, um, you have uh, you, you you might have even if you trans if you translate the Bible, so people can establish other religions based around it and do all sorts of things. But somehow, for whatever reason, even though it seems possible, I mean, the Gemara, the Talmud is translated into so many languages. Surely, other religions would chop it and use it, you know, for their own ends. And yet we hardly see that that happens. Every now and then you have, you know, in the, in the early years, Christian missionaries would quote from the Gomorrah and try and turn the Gomorrah as a proof that, that Yoshka was somebody special. Um, but, um, but in principle, nobody's lived their life by it. Somehow this concept of the oral tradition really represents the actual unique uh, relationship between Amishal and Akosh Baruch. And uh, in fact, um, I was I was just uh, I was thinking about this idea uh, because um, I guess nothing is by coincidence. But I was I was I was learning I was learning a um, I was learning the Talmud Yerushalmi Masechet Paya, and uh, I think yesterday yesterday's daf yesterday's daf um, in the Talmud Yerushalmi he basically quoted a, a, a pasuk from from Hoshea. And the, the Pasuk is a bit of a cryptic Pasuk. But the Pasuk talks about the fact that um, um, that Torah will be, be written down, but um, it's, it's, it's got an impression. It says like this. It says that if, if, uh, if, if Torah would be, be written, it would be, um, it, it would have been considered foreign. Um, so this cryptic Pasuk says, if I would have written down the majority of my Torah, it would have been considered uh, foreign. In other words, in other words, Torah Bichtav is considered somehow foreign, uh, not as not as dear or as valued by Kosh Baruch Hu, as opposed to um, the Torah which is oral. And this was the chidush of that Gemara. That uh, you know, the Gemara basically says that this. This idea of zar nechshavu, which is a an expression of of something you know uh, being considered strange, is uh, is Torah shebichtav because it was chap by other people, as opposed to Torah shebalpe. Um, uh, it's interesting that I was giving a shiur in um, in a kiddushin, and um, we were I was discussing the the nature of how we marry we we get married. We we marry with uh, with with a ring with kesef, 
כסף, או לקרוא שווה כסף. But we've got three options. We can marry with, uh, um, with intimacy, that's beer. We can marry with shtar, which is a, a document. So the Mishnah says, Aisha niknait b'shalosh trachim, a woman can be acquired. A woman changes her status in one of three ways. B'kesef, with money, b'shtar, v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'v'
we need to continue working with Torah Shabal Peh as the, the unique expression of our relationship. Okay, fine. Now, the Beit lady then wants to know as follows. Um, this, are, this concept that the, that the Luchot um, or that Moshe Rabbeinu received, um, you know, re received th th that the light shone from him because of this extra ink, etc. So now, what happens if the what happens if the first set of luchot had never been broken? So the the Gemara says in Eruvin, the Gemara says that the Gemara that says that if 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 the luchot harishonot were never broken, no one would have dominated us. It would have been the relationship between Amishon and Kosh Baruch would have been so solid. So says the Beit Halevi, according to this Gemara, that if the first Luchot had never been broken, um, and therefore we would never have been sent into exile. So, so you know, if this if this is true, so um, when Torah was given originally, um, there was Amishon was still okay. So they hadn't they hadn't sinned yet. So um, if they hadn't sinned yet, so why didn't they write it down? So you know the the Madras says because they foresaw that Amishel would you know would have sinned. Um, yeah, the, at this point in time, what sin were they? They hadn't they hadn't sinned yet. In other words, they could have still written it down. Um, so the Madras. The, the reason of the Medrash wouldn't have applied. Um, in other words, since Amisha were not going to go into exile, they were gonna, you know, the assumption was at the time that they weren't they weren't gonna they weren't gonna suffer this fate. So then Torah no no nation would have uh captured the Torah the, the Therefore you don't need a Torah Balpeh at that point in time. So it says uh, this is the question of the Beit Alevi. So he says that it must be, says the Beit Halevi, that the first set of Luchot actually contained both the Torah Shebiktav and the Torah Shebaal Peh. Uh, the, the, the set of Luchot that only had Torah Shebiktav on them was the second set of Luchot. Those, and those ones were are still intact. But and, and at the time of the second Luchot, that's when it was decreed that we'd be, we're going, we'd be going into Galut already. So what he's saying is the big chidush is that according to the Beit HaLevi, the first set of Luchot were magical beyond words because what, what it means is, is that, that this cube of sapphire stone, whatever it was, is almost like, um, it's almost like a, it's, it's one of fantasy. It's like a fantastic idea. It's got like layers upon layers upon layers. Upon, it's, like, it's like having a database of information Embedded into this, into this, um, the sapphire cube, and that—that's exactly what the first set of luchot looked like—a sapphire cube. Um, and if you were able to somehow look into the cube, you'll be able to see, you know, bites upon bites of information with all of the oral tradition um, stored, stored into like a. It's like a, you know, it's like a fancy USB stick. You know, this this kind of, that was, that's what the Luchot were. Um, this is the Chirush that, uh, that the Beit HaLevi suggests we contemplate 
when we look and discuss uh, you know the idea of this um of this set of luchot that was given at that at that point in time and so it it's really it at that at that point there was Torah there was not such thing as Torah it was actually embedded in the in the in the so-called pube of 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 sapphire that um that Moshe Rabbeinu was going to was going to bring down um where in the second set of luchot there already it was much more human if you will even though there were miracles there too you know it's got to it's got to be there for 40 days and 40 nights etc but but bottom line is on the second set there was only the aserta they brought on the first the first luchot they had these layers of information that um you know that uh, that was on there so this is you know this is a chidush that that he writes and a number of achronim also uh, write this particular chidush that um you know that, that they would that the torah was like this when it when it was first uh, when, it, when it was first given so um the bottom line is is that all this all the luchot had the first of luchot had this incredible amount of do, of data that was embedded into the into the nature of the story um so this is this this is the nature of the difference between the two luchot well, if we say that this is using this particular theory, so now the Beit Levi suggests that um, when Moshe Rabbeinu was going down the mountain, um, he he couldn't hold with that that cube was became heavier and heavier as the letters of Torah, um, you know, evaporated from from in that 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 block. Um, and that's why they became so heavy because the letters that were giving it a certain amount of buoyancy, uh, you know, disappeared as a result of Am Israel sinning with the with the Egel Azahav. And it's at that point that um, the concept of Galut was decreed, and um, and 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 therefore, as a result of Galut being decreed, as Am Israel served idols down below, all of a sudden the oral tradition had to separate itself. From the written Torah, and that's the impression that you get of this 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 midrash that the letters, you know, were flying off the were, were flying off the luchot. Which letters flew off the luchot? Um, well, says the Beit Halevi that the letters that were flying off were not the letters of the Ten Commandments; they were the letters of the Torah Shabal Peh that had originally been embedded there. Um, that's the part that Moshe Rabbeinu saw evaporating into. Into into thin air. Um, now Moshe Rabbeinu knew that you have to have Torah Shabal Peh. Um, you know that that's that's what happened. So bottom line is, without Torah Shabal Peh, you got nothing, and that's what Moshe Rabbeinu understood that it was impossible to give them this Torah without the with, without the Torah Shabal Peh, uh, and that's what it means that the luchot were too heavy to bear. So. Um, Bottom line is they Moshe Rabbeinu, either one expression is is that it fell or that he threw it. And bottom line is is that this is this is the idea of Moshe Rabbeinu coming down the mountain in Al Sedra and the the luchot breaking, you know, as a as a result. So when Moshe Rabbeinu comes down the mountain, what 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 writing is left on the you know, on the luchot, it's only the aset that he brought. 
you know, that's the, that's the, that's all that was left. So this, this is the Chirush of the Beit HaLevi, that when the Midrash tells us about leftover ink, um, Moshe Rabbeinu was trying to write down, you know, all the aspects of Torah, the written and the oral. Because Baruch told him it's impossible, you know, because now Am Yisrael are going to be destroyed. So you can't incorporate the Torah Shabbat into the second set of Luchot. And this is what the Beit HaLevi understands, interprets as being the extra ink which was left over after Moshe Rabbeinu, um, you know, completed this uh, the second set. There was a the the, the Torah Shabbat section of Torah could not be written because, and that was the extra ink, so to speak, from the, this unwritten part of the Torah, and that was then metaphorically dabbed onto Moshe Rabbeinu's head. And uh, you know the the representative of Torah Shabbat and um, and this is really what what caused uh, Moshe Rabbeinu's aura to be amplified as a result of uh, this concept of Torah Shabbat So it's almost as if what happened was is that it's almost as if Hashem downloaded Torah Shabbat you know, into Moshe Rabbeinu's head from the you know from the the so-called letters that had flown off the original set of Luchot. And uh, and it's that download of Torah Shabbat into Moshe Rabbeinu's uh, mind that caused Moshe Rabbeinu to beam with light because the, you know, the, the so-called hidden elements of Torah, the whole entire Torah Shabbat you know, he was the one who was carrying it. And as a result of that, at this point in time, Moshe Rabbeinu was the only being alive, who uh, who actually embodied, literally embodied the concept of Torah Shabbat And as a result, uh, the light shone from Moshe Rabbeinu more than from any other human being um, that existed on the earth. He, he had to now come along as a conduit and explain and give over Torah Shabbat you know, from, uh, you know, to, uh, to, to, to Am Yisrael. And so, this basically is another interpretation of uh, of what it means um, that Moshe Rabbeinu's countenance shone as a result of some leftover ink. Uh, we gave the explanation before that it was the from the Torah Shabbat that was left over, um, and here we're giving the Beit Ladies explanation that it was the download of Torah Shabbat that made Moshe Rabbeinu into the unique human being that um, the only person ever. To have this kind of status um, more than anybody else in in existence. All right, so I'm gonna leave that Hiddush with you. Wish you a great Shabbos. And uh, you know, I hope if we don't see you in Shul, Shul at the next uh, at the next year. Have a good one, guys. Enjoy. All the best. Yeah. Yeah.